Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and uh, it's uh, it's been a little while since we've had any of this uh, one-on-one time together. Um, but uh, we're gonna give it a shot today. <laughs> we're gonna see what we can get done. Um, you know, before going into it, I would like to both uh, apologize for the lack of programs on the channel of late, um, as well as thank everyone who has reached out over the past couple of months. Um, it's been it's been very nice to uh, to hear from people um, during this time, and uh, it, it's nice just to to know you got friends out there. It's it's interesting how at times like this, uh, you know, in current year where we're you know constantly surrounded by uh, by other folks and other voices, how you know isolated and alone you can feel. It's like you you can't even see the the forest for the trees sometimes. Um, and it takes, you know, some, uh, just a random comment from maybe someone you hadn't heard from in a little while just to remind you that, uh, that you're not alone, that there's, uh, people out there. So, uh, uh, I just wanted to, you know, thank everyone, uh, for, uh, for keeping, for, for keeping me in their thoughts, uh, keeping, uh, Reggie's memory, uh, alive in your thoughts, uh, stuff like that. It's, uh, it's been very nice, uh, to, to see. Um... Now, the last time uh, we did an episode of uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths was uh, May 13th was the day that it went out. And uh, that was uh, actually the day that uh, that I'd found out that uh, Reggie had passed. Um, and I found out in an unexpected way, um, probably a sign of the times, uh, you know, considering the... You know the physical isolation we're all in, as well as just uh, what technology, uh, is, where technology is at, uh, insofar as you know, sharing information and uh, learning things. Basically, um, I had put out the episode. It was episode thirty-five, uh, the Crimson Avenger episode. Which, if you've listened to that one, as well as the Leonard the Duck one before that, you might have noticed that they were a little different in tone than what we usually do on on this program. Um, where this program is usually a, uh, like a, like a testament to just me being, you know, a, a goofball in life. Uh, sharing anecdotes and stories and tying them, uh, sometimes nebulously, into a uh, comic book I'd like to discuss. Uh, those episodes were different. Those episodes were more material-based, and uh, there's a reason for that, and I, and I will uh, get to that in, in just a bit. But uh, I wanted to share with you just um, the way that morning went uh, when I uh, when I put that episode up. Uh, this is, again, episode 35, um, Crimson Avenger. I had put it up, and I, uh, I shared it on all the normal social media sites, um, I really don't have a grasp of any social media sites. I don't know how to use any of them. As uh, as folks who are close to me know, it's uh, it's one of the one of the bane's of my existence. I I always talk about how I love the process of creating. I love uh, you know spitting into a microphone. I love writing, um, planning, researching, devising, talking with my friends, and. Uh, the only part that really gets under my skin about this entire process is everything after I hit publish. You know, things like promoting and sharing and and just just playing that game. I, I'm not good at it, <laughs> and uh, 
and it's probably evident if you if you know anything about me um, in in the real world. But uh, I did share this episode on uh, on the various social sites, and uh, I don't really do much with uh, with Facebook. I don't understand it. Um, I have a little you know a little page for the blog that I'll uh, post things on. Uh, you know, after I publish an, uh, an article or an episode. And uh, somehow there's like 500 and change people who follow it, but for whatever reason, probably financial, uh, Facebook will only show my posts to about three people a day. Uh, so I don't really count on that as being a great source of, you know, click-through or, or uh, listenership or, or readership. So what I usually would do with Facebook is just share whatever I had. Um, like if I wrote an article or put up an episode, I would just, you know, link to it in the little Chris's on Infinite Earths group. And I wouldn't think about it until the next day when I would upload or share the next day's piece. Um, and then if I got there and there were likes or comments, which there very rarely were because, you know, the, the, the visibility was very limited, I would answer them and, uh, you know, have little conversations. Um, but for the most part, uh, Facebook was just there as just another avenue, you know. Um, I often say that uh, the process of sharing uh, content is, uh, I call it uh, in search of one. Um, I think back to when I used to, uh, you know, consume blogs and uh, podcasts and just all sort of fandom-related content. I would be that guy who would discover a site... And then I would spend, like, that weekend just devouring it. You know, I would go through the archives, the backlog, and uh, I would try to trace back uh, things like, you know, inside jokes related to that blog. You know, find out where those jokes were started. And um, and when I started to write again, um, that was the guy I was in search of. I was in search of one. That one guy or girl or, or the one person who would discover the blog really enjoy it, and then decide to, you know, dig through and just uh, maybe spend, you know, a lazy, rainy Sunday reading the silly stuff that I write, you know. That's what I was in search of, and, and the reason I kept Facebook in the rotation was just as another avenue, just as another uh, possibility to find that one. And over the, you know, four to five years that I've been doing this, I found a few of those ones, Um and it's always uh, amazing and humbling when I'll wake up one morning and there'll be there'll be like thirty comments from a brand new person that I'd never seen before on the blog, and they they will they've gone through you know years worth of blog posts and they're commenting on on the ones that uh, that they liked or or disagreed with or just uh, you know had something to say, and that's always really really cool, and it always brings me back to those days where. You know, where I discovered, you know, comics reviews by Walt, or when I discovered uh, the Clone Saga uh, blog, where they just, you know, totally disassembled the Clone Saga, and just uh, how many hours I wasted. Well, not wasted, how many hours I spent, because I enjoyed every minute of it, but how many hours I, I invested in just uh, immersing myself in that content, and just uh, enjoying it, and... I'm a coward, so I don't comment on things very often. So I, I wasn't—I didn't go that far, but uh, but I just love that idea of uh, being in search of that one. Um, so 
back to back to what I was saying. Uh, <laughs> I didn't use Facebook as a as something that I promoted hard. It was just a once a day thing. But with this episode, uh, with the Crimson Avenger, I was a uh, I was a little trepidatious about the episode because it was so far away from what I usually did um, on the show. Um, like I said, no anecdotes, nothing like that. This was just a story about the artist on that book and what he did, um, and why we'll probably never see a reprinted version of this miniseries. And it was so far off from what I usually did, and it was so controversial, or maybe, I don't know, uh, sensational, maybe? I don't know. Uh, provocative? That I, I was afraid I might get a little bit of clapback. Um, I, I, because all I had was a second, first, second, and third hand anecdotes from people in the business. Uh, as far as facts are concerned, I didn't, you know, I didn't pull up police documents and stuff. And if what I'm saying now doesn't make any sense, just, you know, if you have the time, maybe check out that episode. Um, it's, it's weird. (laughs) It's a weird one. But, uh, you know, I didn't have things like police documents and, 100% 100% concrete fact. I had people's recollections and um, people's stories of what happened uh, back in uh, 1988 or whenever it was. So I was worried that there might be a little bit of clapback, a little bit of uh, maybe someone that I had quoted uh, might have, you know, been like, hey, you know, that's, that, that was taken out of context or something. I was just a little bit worried. So I shared that first thing in the morning like I usually do. But a few hours later in the day, I did a second pass on all my social medias just to see if there was any sort of response. Um, positive, negative, indifferent, whatever, just a response. And so I popped onto Facebook. And what was interesting to me is that I had two direct messages um, in my, you know, in my notifications or whatever. Uh, and I never, I never converse on Facebook. So this was in, this was This was unique, this was different, this was strange And my mind immediately goes to Oh well, maybe this is someone that I quoted in that that episode And it really speaks to my my massive (laughs) ego here That I would assume that somebody actually listened to it And was, you know, so inspired to reach out that they did But it wasn't that um, my the first message was from a friend of the show, a uh, friend of the channel, uh, Rob Lewis. He's the host of the DC Now podcast, and he just said, "I'm sorry to hear about Reggie." And uh, considering that I had spoken to Reggie less than 24 hours before this, I assumed that he just heard that Reggie was back in the hospital and uh, with pneumonia. And uh, you know, I, I and then I was like, "Oh, I'm, you know." Okay, you know, I didn't know how to quite how quite to, quite how to respond. I am, I'm just uh, just like okay. Let me well, let me check the other message here, and the other message was just like it, it said something along the lines of like uh, how bad 2020 is as a year, and uh, you know we can't believe what was going on with with Reggie. And um, at that point, I assumed naively that maybe. The pneumonia diagnosis was incorrect, and maybe they found out that he had, you know, maybe he had contracted uh, the the COVID virus. And I was just like, oh man, that you know, that's yeah, he just you know can't can't win here. Um, but uh, then I I 
decided like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know look a little deeper into this. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll just give him a call right now, and and, and find out. And I figured uh, we would we would chat, and um, uh, that that of course was not it. Um, I found out what actually had happened, and I was uh, I was actually doing um, I was doing some bicep curls as I was doing this, and I had uh, I dropped my weight. Um, and chipped one of my tiles in my living room uh, when I found out what had actually happened, and uh, it, it's very—it was very strange, of course, um, very sobering. And I've discussed this uh, a few times, um, well, the, the you know the aftermath and all, but um, it, it's a—you uh, know—it's weird. Um, it changed so much about uh, what what it is that we we did together. Um, this channel and the shows and I, I mean, I mean that's very minor minor stuff. That was a hobby, um, but it was something that was important to both of us that we shared. So even though it was in in, in the grand scheme of things something very minor. Um, it's one of those things where you have like that kind of gut check moment, you know, where you realize that that nothing is going to be the same again, and um, you know, rather <laughs> rather than just just continuing on this path here, I just wanted to share that story because putting out another solo episode. Right now, I, I'm very conflicted in doing it because it almost feels like a betrayal. It feels unfair that I'm able to do this right now because I mean, it, I, I can't explain it. I just hope what I'm saying you're able to follow. Um, because I, I remember, I'm like I'm picturing me where I was the last time I did what I'm doing right now, and it was just a totally different world. Because I'd recorded that episode the day before this happened, so this is, you know, it's so it's so hard to put into words um, what it is. I just hope that the sentiment is there, and you're able to follow. What I'm what I'm saying, or at least, at least it makes a little bit of sense. Um, it just doesn't seem right that I'm able to do this, to keep doing this, you know. But I, but here I am, and uh, and it's very conflicting. And I, I think back to last year, following uh, Reggie's aortic dissection, and I told myself that I wouldn't get behind a microphone again until I had good news to share. You know, that was in May, and I didn't come back until July, I think. So actually, it's exactly the same thing as this year. Um, I told myself that I would not continue what we did until I had good news to share with people. And uh, I waited until I was able to speak with him again. Before I decided to 
resume. That wasn't an option this time. Um, and uh, so I, I have to rely on my own internal, you know, governor. And uh, that's not something I'm good at. But uh, here we are. Um, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping uh, before we get into the actual episode, which, which I which I promise will be a little bit more fun than this. Um, I hope so, anyway. Um, I, I mentioned that that folks have reached out. Um, I've gotten I've gotten a bunch of questions uh, that uh, I'd like to go through. Um, if if you're not interested <laughs> in anything like like this, uh, I don't know why you're still listening after you know almost twenty minutes of me blathering, but. Uh, you know, feel free to skip ahead uh, to uh, whenever the horns are. I don't know. Um, but uh, I did have some people reach out with questions, and I, I did want to respond to those questions here. Um, I thought about maybe doing a like a video uh, where I would just do this uh, sort of Q&A um, update thing, and I still might do that. Um Depending on you know the penetration of this episode, I don't know how many people are going to listen to it. I don't know how many people have given up on the channel. How many people have just walked away? And I, you know, I wouldn't blame you if you did. Um, I you know, <laughs> no judgment. You know, this is uh, this is your free time, and I, I respect it. So you choose to do with it as you do with it. But uh, if uh, if you were interested in some of the some of the bits and pieces. Of the future of this channel um, Well, then This is a segment you, you might want to hear um, Now, a question I received a lot Was whether or not there would be a Reggie Tribute show um, I would love to do that I would absolutely love to do that um, Me being me um, I would probably shoot for the stars And uh, really make it a huge thing Um Probably to the point where it would be inefficient, um, because I would like to get as many voices as possible involved in something like that, as many stories as possible involved in something like that. Um, it would probably be a massive undertaking, and um, I don't know if this is a situation where brevity is something to consider. Or if this is something where we just indulge and uh, share stories and share memories and uh, and just make a you know make a day of it. I don't know. Um, I do have some ideas. I have a lot of ideas about how to do this. Um, there are certain topics that were close to uh, to uh, Reggie in in as far as comics and his passion um, and also. Things that he and I wanted to do together, um, <clears throat> things that were on that you know never-ending pile of uh, of topics we wanted to cover, and some had some had five asterisks next to them because we really really wanted to get to them. Um, I don't know um, if anybody is interested in uh, in being part of that, or would like to be involved, or just has some words they'd like to share. Um, you know, hit me up, definitely. Send me an email at uh, you know weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. On Twitter at Ace Comics. Send me a direct message. 
whatever whatever way you whatever way is easier for you. Um, you know, please don't hesitate if you're if you're interested in something like this, um, because motivation isn't good right now for me. Um, and I, uh, I I'm I'm a believer in synergy and uh, and you know the just the energy of all of us together I think is is very very powerful in a situation such as this. So um, definitely don't hesitate to reach out. Um, there is a um, a virtual memorial that uh, was conducted about three four weeks ago um, via Zoom. Since we are you know in this age of COVID and um, we're you know physically isolated, there couldn't be an in-person memorial. Um, there was instead a virtual memorial. And I had uh, the honor of speaking. Um, can't put into words what that meant to me, to be asked to do that. Um, Reggie's wife, Lizzie, has just been amazing throughout this entire... I, I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she did it. Um, I, uh, it meant so much to me to be asked to speak and share some stories, uh, even though, relatively speaking, I, I've known him so much less than, than the other wonderful folks who spoke during that, uh, during that, that memorial. If, uh, if you're, I, I did have, you know, like a handful of folks that I invited. Um, if I didn't reach out to you, I apologize. It wasn't anything malicious. It was just, had a lot going on in my head, and I just reached out to people, and maybe I reached out and you didn't get it. I don't know. But uh, if you'd like to see the video, um, hit me up. Uh, at, you know, Ace Comics on Twitter. I can send you a link to it. It's about, uh, I think it's about two or three hours long. Um, uh, there's also a wonderful um, Reggie Tribute video with a lot of his... Uh, a lot of his voice, uh, a lot of video featuring him, uh, a lot of photos, um, some of his music that uh, his his good friend Justin put together. It's definitely it, it'll kick your butt. Um, it will. Uh, I they started the ceremony, the memorial ceremony, with this video, and oh man, it was multiple, multiple kicks to the kicks to the gut. It was so powerful. Um, but it was it was also it was also just, it was beautiful. So, if you'd like to see that, reach out, and I can, uh, I can, I can get that to you. Um, another question. Um, I've had some of our uh, patrons, our former patrons over at Patreon, reach out. I had closed down the Patreon. I finally was able to get access to the Patreon. I hadn't been able to sign into the thing for well over a year. Um, after jumping through a handful of hoops, I was able to get back in there just to just to download some audio and shut it down. And had some of the uh, patrons reach out to me and ask if there was any way to donate direct. And uh, I love you for it, but no, no, there's there's no reason to do that. Um, I, it means the world to me that you feel like the content is is something that you'd you know you would willingly pay for. But it's not necessary. Um, the uh, the Podbean is still, you know, it's I, I, to do to do the podcast page and the website. 
I mean, it's like 130 bucks a year. It's it's not, yeah, you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna kill me to do this just to keep you know keep the archives active. Um, but I, I I love you for asking. Thank you so much. Um, it's a it, it's things like that that really make this um, worth doing, uh, and it makes me question <laughs> the amount of time I spend doing this. A lot less, you know. I, I don't question it so much when I know that there's people out there that that really enjoy what what we do um, and what we did. Um, while on the subject of the Patreon, um, back when that was, you know, starting up, we were sending enamel pins out to uh, to our patrons, and they're really sharp looking pins with the logo for the show. If you were a patron and you never got one, please reach out because I have like several hundred of them right now. Um, reach out uh, at Ace Comics on Twitter and weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com and I can get one out to you. Um, if you weren't a patron, if you weren't a patron and you would still like a pin just as a keepsake, reach out and we'll uh, and I'll send you one. It's not a big deal. Now, if you're a patron and you already have a pin, Please reach out to tell me how Reggie sent them to you. Um, were they in a little box? Were they in a regular envelope, a padded envelope? Uh, he did all the mailing, so I don't know how that went and how it was. Uh, you know, what's what's a best pra- what's a what's a best practice for sending pins in the mail? So if you have a pin and you remember how it got to your house or you know your home, let me know how they got there so I can so I can do the same thing. Um, Again, that's you know weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or Ace Comics on Twitter. If you want a pin, reach out. I'll get you a pin. <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of them. Um, if you'd like to wait until you know the pandemic stuff dies down because you don't want you know something that was sitting in someone else's house being mailed to your house, there, there's a ton of them. So you, we can wait. You can reserve one. It's fine. Um, another question. Uh, Will there be more episodes of the Cosmic Treadmill? Now, to answer that, believe it or not, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, going back to the first time we ever uh, recorded a Cosmic Treadmill, and uh, this was way back in the day, 2016. We were uh, still just a segment on the Weird Science DC Comics podcast, and... Uh, we were doing Weird Comics History for a while, but uh, that got a little bit too big, got a little too long, so we decided to spin that off onto its own program. So Weird Comics History was just a standalone program that could go an hour or two if it had to, instead of just, you know, being locked into a 15-20 minute um, bit. But we still wanted to contribute to that show in our, in our own segment. I mean, Reggie was there throughout, but... Uh, uh, you know, we wanted to do our own little side segment, which was uh, a retro segment, of course. Um, and it was uh, unnamed for quite a while. I think we knew that we were going to switch to this for about three weeks, and we just couldn't come up with a name. I think it was just going to be like, you know, weird retro comics or whatever. We, <laughs> it was just going to be something. Uh, we had a few names. I don't I wish I could find the list. Because <laughs> they... Uh, they were uh, pretty lazy <laughs> names that we were putting out there. Um, and it wasn't until we were like five seconds away from hit and record, and I was just, I just blurted out Cosmic Treadmill. And he liked it, Reggie liked it, and 
as he talked us in and announced, you know, the he talked us into the segment, he called it Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. And I immediately cringed. I, I didn't like... Well, I, I didn't really mind that our names were involved in it, but I didn't like that my name came first. Because, uh, I don't know, I, 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 I worry about things that don't matter. And I thought that, like... Like, oh man, people who are listening are going to think I got such an ego putting my name first. And uh, and after we recorded, I'm like, I'm like, oh man, you put my name first? And he said, well, it wouldn't sound as good the other way. And, you know, Reggie and Chris's. I mean, anytime you have to put an apostrophe S after Chris, it's like, you know, it's like you're, you're saying words sideways at that point. Um, so I get his point. He was very, very right. But I still felt weird about it. And, uh... It was like a running joke after that. Anytime I would start a script, I would just call it, you know, Cosmic Treadmill Episode 5. You know, Cosmic Treadmill Episode 7. And the first edit Reggie would do was that he would change the title to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill Episode 5. Every single time. <laughs> and uh, and uh, w- one time he's like, he's like, he's like, you gotta call the name what it is because... Oh, this is our sh- this is our segment, our show, and uh, it's something we need to be proud of. We need to own it. It's ours, and of course, in hindsight, he was a hundred percent right. But uh, at the time, I just felt so weird about it. You know, I felt like a like I was <laughs> such an egotist for having my name first, or just worrying that people would think that. Even though you know nobody cared, nobody cared, but. Uh, uh, now, to answer that question, will there be any more Cosmic Treadmills? Well, for it to be a Cosmic Treadmill, there needs to be a Chris and there needs to be a Reggie. So, no. There won't be any more Cosmic Treadmills. Um, there will be five episodes of Cosmic Treadmill that will go up on the main feed over the next couple of months. These were formerly Patreon-exclusive episodes... These are the Cosmic Treadmills After Dark. Uh, they're a little spicier than our normal, um, you know, our normal output. And uh, had some conflicted thoughts about putting them out, because they are, <laughs> they're not the ones you want to listen to with the kids in the car. You don't want to listen to them at work without headphones on. They're not, uh, I mean, we're not just, we're not like cursing like sailors during it, but it is, you know, spicier material. So... Those will be going up. There are four of those. Those will be episodes 146 through 149 of the Cosmic Treadmill. And uh, the fifth and final episode, episode 150, is going to be something Reggie and I recorded many years ago. Um, back in, I, th- I want to say the spring of 2016, we recorded this. It was a different project altogether, but it does fit into the Cosmic Treadmill mold, so I thought that would be appropriate as, um, you know, the episode to put a bow around uh, the Cosmic Treadmill. Uh, that'll be episode 150, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing that one with everybody. Uh, but yeah, there will be no new episodes of the Cosmic Treadmill because, you know, there are... Uh, there are three elements you need for that. It's a you need a Chris, you need a Reggie, and you need a treadmill, I guess. And uh, yeah, we're not uh, we're not gonna. That's just not gonna happen. Um, 
The Chris and Reggie channel will always be the Chris and Reggie channel. That's another question I got. Since I haven't put much material out, um, I had one person reach out to me and ask if I changed the feed. Uh, They said that they searched for, you know, Chris's on Infinite Earths at Podbean. And uh, I assured him that, uh, no, no, we're not. This will always be the Chris and Reggie channel. Um, No matter what, that's just the way it is. Um, There won't be any more Cosmic Treadmills, but this will always be the Chris and Reggie channel. Um, Now for the future, you know, what what, what are we going to do here? Um... Well, I'm, I don't have accounting access to chrisandreggie.com. That was something that Reggie had set up. And uh, I think that might be expiring pretty soon. So as soon as I find out that it, that it did expire, I will try to procure it. So there, there might be a bit of time where it goes back to weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com. In order to avoid any confusion, um, I'm starting to move everything over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com because I know that's not going anywhere, and that's not going to be changing. Um, that said, Blogger, which is my host over there, is, uh, well, they're having some growing pains. They've, uh, they're changing their entire um, infrastructure and uh, way of uh, putting up posts, and it's... Not the most pleasant of experiences. Um, it's not quite as intuitive. Uh, it's it's like, you know how like a lot of websites are changing to be like more app-like? You know, where it w- would work great if you were like touching a screen on your phone. But to actually have it on your PC or laptop, it is just such a pain. Um, now... You know, posts over at Chris's on Infinite Earths, like I normally would do, the reviews, the uh, synopsises... I mean, those can take anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours a day to put up. And I mean, and the place doesn't look like much. <laughs> the site does not look like much, but it does take a lot of time. And each post will generally have about 20 to 30 images. I mean, not a big deal. Um, the old way of doing business with Blogger is I would, I would write the post, I would snap the pictures as I go, at the end of the thing, I would upload from my phone to either my iCloud or Google Images, whichever one would actually take the pictures, because that was a struggle sometimes. From there, I would download them to my computer, I would unzip them, then I would upload them back up to the blog. It, it, I, I'm, I'm kind of a Luddite, so I'm sure there's probably like people who are like professional bloggers who might be listening are like, oh, what an idiot, you know? <laughs> you can just do it with one button, and he's doing it with, you know, he's doing cartwheels to get it done. But uh, I would upload them to the site, and uh, I would upload them all at once, you know? So I would have like this one window with 30 images in it, and then I would work my way through the blog and place them where I wanted them. Now, you can only do one at a time. So, something that used to take about two minutes to do is now taking 15. And, uh, it's, it sucks. Uh, it really sucks. What sucks worse is you go to the blogger support forums for help, and, uh, which a lot of people have done about this very same problem, and you have, uh, these gold star experts who, uh, will defend Google to the ends of the earth, who blame you (laughs) 
for not being able to, to uh, upload pictures properly and and blame it on third-party applications that you're not using. Um, so the blog, the future of the blog is kind of up in the air. I don't know if I have the guts to move it over to WordPress um, because, I mean, the blog has probably like 50,000 pictures on it and like a million and a half words. <laughs> So I'm afraid I'm going to lose stuff if I transfer it over. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Uh, hopefully, these uh, they'll iron the kinks out over a blocker when this thing, you know, actually settles into the new form it's going to take. But uh, for now, I'm mostly focusing on um, on on sharing old episodes and stuff uh, that Reggie and I had done together, telling some backstories, uh, sharing some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, maybe just a you know funny anecdote that uh, we associated with a particular episode or some of the uh, researching pains and stuff like that. So uh, that's not to say that it won't go back to normal eventually. Uh, just right now it's just easier um, for me and it's a little bit more cathartic and satisfying for me to revisit some uh, some old you know old times you know um, other program you know taking the blog out of out of the equation here for a bit and just going to the uh, shows um, you know Moratory Mondays is back um, we did take a an extended break um, we did a couple of episodes uh, a couple like a month or month ago. Um, which I really wasn't feeling. I kind of forced myself to do that, and I apologize to my co-host, Chris Bailey, for that. If, if, if it felt like I was really forced or just out of sorts, I apologize to the listeners. Um, it's like I broke my only podcasting rule. I have, like, one rule when it comes to podcasting, and it's you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to have... It has to be intrinsic, you know. You have to want to do this. Just like I'm talking to you guys right now, um, it's hard. It's hard to do this. Um, especially when you're as emotionally scatterbrained as I am at the moment. But I want to do it, you know. It's like I really want to share this stuff. Um, it's intrinsic. It's, it, it, it's, it's harder not to do it, you know. Which tells me that, which gives me a little bit of peace and tells me that this is the right thing to do. With those episodes of Moratory Mondays, I think it was episodes 20 and 21, my heart wasn't quite as into it. Uh, it was one of those things where, like, I was just, when I hit record, the voice changed into, like, the professional podcasting voice, as professional as I get, anyway. Um, so it was, it felt like I was putting on a character, uh, rather than just being, you know, the guy who you're listening to right now. So, I, I do apologize for that, um... And I also apologize for the fact that there haven't been episodes, um, and that's that's all on me. That's that's all on me. Um, everybody else who's been involved in any of the projects that I work on has been uh, so supportive and so understanding and so patient and uh, just just really good to me. Um, and that means more than I can put into words. You know, I, I can't adequately. Uh, Tell people how much I appreciate that without, you know, uh, uh, busting into tears. So I won't. <laughs> I'll just tell you, I appreciate it. Um, listeners to the channel might have seen that uh, we put up a show called Quester Days, which 
is uh, going to be replacing Moratorium Mondays when we wrap that up in uh, probably, oh boy, like 12 weeks, I think. Um, that is the uh, Marvel epic Elf Quest run um, from the 80s. That was uh, it's a very, very personal series to uh, to both of us, me and Chris Bailey. Uh, very special sort of the easy for me to say. Very special series <laughs> that, uh, and I, I've told the story a million times about how without ElfQuest I wouldn't be in comics. I wouldn't be into you know I wouldn't be in the fandom. So uh, if you want to hear me tell that story for the millionth time, listen to that episode. Um, now a question I got, which I wasn't expecting. Was about uh, from Claremont to Claremont. Um, I didn't think anybody cared about it. <laughs> I certainly didn't get the reception or reaction that I thought it would when we started it. Um, so when people asked where it is, I was a little taken aback because I'm like, well, people are listening to that. I didn't think people even cared. Um, from Claremont to Claremont is something I want to do again. Um, yes. The problem with it is uh, that it is a very time-intensive project. And uh, for the past couple of months, the last thing I've wanted to do is read a comic book. Um, I talked earlier for a minute about, you know, how you kind of... You kind of relate hobbies to people, you know. Um, And a hobby of reading a comic book... And talking about it is something I relate to one person in particular, you know. And I, like I said, you know, I, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fair that I'm able to do it. Um, and until I'm able to get over that, uh, it's going to be a little bit challenging to, uh, to you know, jump into the deep end with something like From Claremont to Claremont. Um, we've done two episodes of that show, which doesn't sound like much. But between those two episodes, it's like 24 hours of audio um, and probably 300 hours of work. Uh, an episode of From Claremont to Claremont, judging by the very small sample that I have of two episodes, that could take anywhere from an hour, um, from 100 to 120, 130 hours to put together from soup to nuts. So it's a big investment. It's a lot of time. It's all my fault. <laughs> You know, for being, uh, you know, what is that? You have eyes bigger than belly when you order the big, big, big meal. And then halfway through it, you're just like, oh, God, i got to finish this. Um, it's uh, But it is something that I, I remain passionate about. I, I would love to do. Um, I, I would like to get back to it. I, I, and and the, the third episode is partially recorded already. I already have a couple of the segments recorded for the uh, upcoming third episode. So it's not like I haven't started. It is started. It's just a matter of actually digging my heels in. And, uh, you know, stop being, you know, stop wallowing and just uh, do it. Um I'm not sure what voices will be included with the episode. I've kind of I've kind of isolated from everybody, so uh, I'll have to check in with the uh, with the cast, the the crew, uh, the co-hosts, and see how many of them were haven't written me off completely. So it might be the same voices. It might be different voices. Who knows? We'll see. Um, I wouldn't blame them for walking away, and uh, I would appreciate it if they didn't. So. <laughs> You know, we'll, just, we'll play it by ear Is uh, what I'm trying to say 
solo shows. Uh, this show, Chris is on Infinite Earths. Uh, Remarvel. Um, what other stupid shows do I do? Um, I'm sure there's a couple. But uh, they'll, you know, I, I don't want to set a schedule because I don't want to let anybody down. Um, because uh, when you do this, it's really hard to miss the first the first deadline you give yourself. Like, if you say you're going to do a show every Wednesday, the first Wednesday you miss is really hard. It's really hard on you because you feel like you failed. The second Wednesday isn't so hard to miss. The third Wednesday you don't even think about. The fourth Wednesday you forgot you even had a show in the first place. So it's only the first one that really gets you, so I don't want to set a schedule right off the, you know, right off the bat. We'll just play it by ear and, uh, and see where it takes us. Now, the, the episode today was going to be a Remarvel episode, but the episode that I had in mind is, is kind of heavy. Um, it's heavy, it's really kind of maudlin, it's, uh, it's heavy. <laughs> and I decided to push that one off because I think we've had enough uh, heaviness uh, of late, and I wanted to talk about something a little bit more fun. So that's why we're not doing that episode, and instead we're doing this episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths. And uh, before I send it over to the horn so we can actually start this program, after, uh, what, in 45 minutes, um, diversifying the content going forward, um, I have a lot of ideas. I just don't have a lot of stick to at the moment. But there are a lot of ideas. There are a lot of things in the ether. Um... And I mean, this is this is a new day, you know. Um, there might be shows that don't have anything to do with comic books. There might be, you know, I'm open to the possibility that there might be shows without even my voice on it. <laughs> if anybody has an idea for a show, you know, we'll see what we can work out. Maybe I don't know. Um, nothing's for sure. Nothing's guaranteed. Um, but uh, all we can do is is do what we do. And uh, that's what we're going to try to do right after the horns. Okay, how about we start this show after uh, 45 minutes? <laughs> I, I do apologize for the for how long that open was. Um, just had a lot to say, uh, and I haven't said much lately, so I guess it all just came out. And I'm sure the stuff I missed. Um, if anybody has any other questions that maybe I didn't answer... Um, or maybe you sent me a question and I just lost it, reach out and I will, uh, you know, I'll chat with you. Um, as if, as if anybody cares. Um, today's episode, it's, uh, I wanted to keep it light. So we're going to discuss something that's a little bit, uh, a little bit different, a little bit fun. Um, we're going to talk about an issue of Batman. This is Batman issue number 458 from 1991, um, which features Harold. Now, Harold is a... You might know him as a... The guy who, you know, would hang out in the Batcave. He had a, He was a hunchback. Um, he was just a weird little character that... Uh, that, like, if you like, picked up a Batman comic just on a whim in the early 90s, you would see him in the background, and it's like, what is this guy doing there? Uh, the reason I wanted to discuss this issue in particular is uh, 
I don't believe it's his first appearance. I don't. I don't. I think his first appearance was like an issue of the question or something. Uh, I, I probably should have researched that, but I didn't. Um, but the whole like the whole bit about Harold in this issue is sort of that he's like a boogeyman. He's like an urban legend. Um, you know, a playground myth sort of a sort of a character and. That, as a concept, has always been very interesting to me. Um, I've always thought that, you know, the just the schoolyard myths, the urban myths, uh, local, um, the local boogeymen, that is, I love that kind of stuff. It's just so weird, so interesting, and, you know, when you're a kid, it really gets under your skin. And as an adult, it can both get under your skin... But you can also realize the ridiculousness of it, and uh, you can kind of look inside and, and and have a little giggle at yourself for uh, for buying into it or for taking it as seriously as you did as a kid, or 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 maybe you feel pangs of sadness that you don't have that magic in your life anymore, where you can, you know, uh, suspend disbelief. And and I mean, I, don't get me wrong here; there are some vile and evil people. Out there who are literal boogeymen But uh Which you know There's no reason to giggle about them But the the stories that I'm going to share with you here Are a little bit more lighthearted than that Um Well maybe, I don't know uh, Depending on, you know, mileage may vary I suppose But uh, that's kind of the conversation I wanted to have today I want to invite people who uh, made it through that droning introduction to share with me some of the urban legends you remember as a kid. Um, I, I remember hearing silly things like, I think we all had that friend who had a friend who had a friend who had an uncle who worked for Nintendo. You know, that's just something people of my generation might be able to latch on to, uh, where they had all the all the games from Japan. You know, they had all they had uh, they had the the translations before they were translations, or uh, you know, they had all that good stuff. Um, you know, we always knew that kid, and you know they'd get their fifteen minutes of fame. You know, uh, that's you know. The, then you had like the cheat codes, so keeping it with video games for a bit. You know, you had like the uh, the nudalities and Mortal Kombat, stupid crap like that. But uh, those aren't the things I'm necessarily talking about right now. But definitely, if you guys if you guys have stories. Uh, of that of that kind, I, I'd love to hear them and, and maybe chat with you more about that kind of thing. But I got two stories uh, that were schoolyard myths uh, growing up. Uh, one is a little sinister. The other one is uh, a lot less. Uh, the first one is, uh, and this is the first thing that came to mind when I saw when I read when I reread this Harold issue. Uh, I think like a year or two ago. Was that back home? Um, the school that I went to after we moved to Long Island was uh, was like butted up against uh, the the woods, and and I think like every school I went to on Long Island was butted up against woods. There's just woods everywhere. But there the, there was this myth that there was a guy who stalked the woods, and he was called the Diaper Man. Um, and uh, I don't know if that meant he wore diapers. I I don't know. But, uh, it, it, like, you'd always have that one kid in the class who saw him, you know. Uh, they, they caught a glimpse of the diaper man. For some reason, they were hanging out at the school. I mean, we were, like, eight and nine years old. But they were hanging out at the school after hours at night. And they saw, like, uh, they see, like, a flashlight in the woods. And, they, oh, that had to be, had to be the diaper man. 
Nobody could tell you what the Diaper Man did. Nobody could tell you what the Diaper Man looked like. But uh, there, everybody was sure that there was a man in the woods who wore diapers. And, or, or was just associated with diapers. I don't know if he wore them or not. Now, uh, I, rem- <laughs> I remember when I moved there, um, it was one of the first things I learned about the area was that there was this psychopath, the diaper man, right behind the school. And I wondered, you know, it's like, well, if he's right here, why don't, why don't adults go and get him? You know, why aren't, why aren't the police back there? And it's like, then you get into like the, the mystical elements of the diaper man. Like you, you could only see him at, at night or you can only see him from the corner of your eye. It got really stupid. It got really, really stupid. But uh, but I remember, like, there was an episode, I think it was the first episode of Doug. If you remember that show from Nickelodeon, where he moved to this new town. That's where, uh, yeah, it had to have been the first episode. And they convinced him that there was, like, some monster at the swamp nearby. But he had to go there at night. And uh, this... uh. Uh, Diaper Man story was before I saw the, before that show was even out, but uh, it's it's just so weird that, that 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 like same exact thing happened. Nobody actually told me to go hang out at night, but you'd hear these stories about the people who did, and then you'd hear stories about people who wanted to, and then they would come back with their reports, and th- these reports were, I mean, they were it was just stupid kids telling these stories, but it was just something that would. Uh, it would really occupy your mind, and it would really just eat up an entire day of your of your life here. And uh, you know, it would be these weird uh, Socratic sessions at the uh, playground where we're trying to disprove theories on the diaper man. It was, it was, you know, you know, you laugh at it. I can laugh at it now, but at the same time, I I kind of miss that that wonderment and that uh, just how. Outlandish and how willing we were to buy in just because it was so different than the mundane. You know, we wanted to believe that there was this weirdo, uh, <laughs> a boogeyman, a literal boogeyman, an enemy, and uh, just to spice up life. That that just goes to tell you how boring life was. Uh, that we would do this to spice things up. Um, of course, this was you know before the internet was a huge thing. Uh, this was. 1988, 1989, probably. So, I mean, internet isn't what it would even be, you know, five years later. But, uh, we would have these conversations, and we would talk about the diaper man, and, uh, turns out that, uh, for a minute, for a hot minute, I became, like, the the point-of-view guy for the diaper man, because I was a Cub Scout. Now, uh, if you've ever been a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout, you might be familiar. And, you know, I, I don't know how Boy Scouts or, or Cub Scouts even work these days. I don't even know if they're still a thing. I'm, I'm assuming they are. Um, but growing up, you would go to, you'd have like a den leader, which would usually be one of the kids' parents. Well, it would hopefully always be one of the kids' parents. Otherwise, it's a little weird. But uh, like once a week, you would go to their house. You would go through a project or whatever. I don't even remember. But then once a month, all the uh, you know dens in the wider pack would come together for like an award ceremony or a Pinewood Derby race or something. It would just be like a like a, a super meeting, you know, where you'd have like 
all the groups of the area getting together, whereas the weekly meetings would be much smaller. There'd be like six to eight kids, but at the big meetings, it would be like 60 or 70, say. Now, those meetings were held at night at the school. So when people found out that I was going to be at the school at like nine o'clock at night, well, then I became the point of view guy to check out the diaper man. And <laughs> I remember like like every week that would lead up to those meetings, people would ask me to you know check out for the diaper man. And uh, you know, you can talk yourself into a lot. <laughs> you can really talk yourself into a lot. Um, I remember going to the back door of the school because we weren't going to go outside because that's that's terrifying. Um, and and you would you would think you saw a flashlight, or you would think you'd see like like a bush move, you know. Um, I remember, like I was, I would tell my friends in the uh, in the scouts about you know the diaper man, and some of them were in my class, and some of them knew you know the situation, and uh, some of them were also point of view people for the class. Like it's like oh well, there's three of us in the class that are that are Cub Scouts, so they'll be the guys to get us the story on on the diaper man. And I remember, like, every you know, every time there was a near miss, you know, there was always something. There was never a, a time that we would go to the school at night and not see something that tipped us off, that there was, in fact, a, a creep in the, in the woods behind the school. We would always see something. We would always have something to report, um, which was, you know, stupid, but people bought it. People bought into it. We bought into it. Because you'd see... You would see an errant light in the in the back for a split second, or you would think you'd see something out of the corner of your eye, and you would just uh, it would be like self validation. It would just be like, oh, that's gotta be him. It couldn't, you know, it, it couldn't be a raccoon. <laughs> it certainly couldn't be a it couldn't be a squirrel. It has to be, you know, a, a giant man in a diaper, or associated with diapers. I we, nobody knows still, but uh. That was a that was like the main boogeyman. That was our Harold, you know. Um, <laughs> so dumb. Um, and I haven't I haven't thought about these stories in, in quite a while because I you know as I mentioned this was going to be a totally different episode altogether uh, when I when I was putting it together. Um, God, uh, <laughs> growing up in that same area. Um, we would uh, we would sometimes talk about the diaper man um, going into like junior high and high school, and we'd uh, you know, you'd forget about it because you'd lose that that you know childhood whimsy and, and and the fantastical elements. You would just forget about them because you know life gets serious as you get into high school, doesn't it? You know, life gets heavy, um, so you forget about those niceties of elementary school. But I remember like. Just hanging out with my friends in like junior high or high school, and we would remember the diaper man. We would just remember it. And being, you know, bigger people, we were grown sorta, <laughs> kinda. Uh, we would uh, we would go back behind that school. You know, it was, we we had more freedom. We could go out in the evenings. We could uh, we can go out during the day wherever we wanted to. So we would go back to those woods, and we would look to see. F- we would look for traces of the diaper man. One of the cooler parts about growing up there was 
there were a lot of a lot of wooded areas, but there were also like a lot of paths. A lot of like people would like make up make bike paths and jumps and trails in these in these you know sort of dense woods, sort of not dense woods. And uh, you could you could find yourself just walking into some very weird things. Um, and, and everything has like a weird story, a sinister story. You can make them weird, you know. Uh, like next to my junior high school, there was a uh, there was another wooded area, of course. But as you walked through one of the trails there, you came upon a an abandoned house that looks like it was built maybe like forty years before, fifty years before, abandoned, just there standing, no doors, no windows, but just a house, a shell of a house, in the middle of nowhere. There's no roads attached to it. There's just these little paths, and you duck under trees and through bushes, and then you wind up at a house. It's something that you just don't, you know, as urban explorers, I guess, as we or suburban explorers, I guess. Um, it was just so weird what you'd run into, and uh, and I mean, you'd see some very weird things. Uh, you'd see a lot of dead animals, a lot of dead animals in the woods. Um, I remember, uh, I remember we came to a fence, a fence just in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of the woods. There was a segment of fence with two posts. Not not blocking anything, just standing there, and uh, there were there was like a torn shirt tied to it and a bunch of human hair tied in the fence. Very bizarre stuff, and I mean the the thought of me like walking through there as a as a dumbass ten year old. It's like I couldn't imagine a kid today doing that. You know, God forbid I had a kid and they were gonna be well, I'm gonna walk through the woods now. It's like no, you ain't. No, that's not gonna happen. But uh, but yeah, we went behind the the old the old elementary school to look for the diaper man, and uh, naturally we did not find him. We think we found his nest. <laughs> so dumb, because there was something that looked kind of like like if a human made a nest, it looked like it, and uh, all around it was uh, pornography. Um, and again, this is very early 90s This is before the internet was a big deal Is definitely before high-speed internet This is where, you know, as a kid I mean, you couldn't find pornography Of course, you don't want to You don't want to stumble across pornography in the woods That's, that's you know, something sinister But uh, we were sure when we found this That it was, this definitely belonged to the diaper man <laughs> But it was probably just some kids who didn't want to, you know, hide, you know, Playboy magazines in their house and just, you know, stashed them in the woods. But, uh, but yeah, that was uh, the diaper man. And uh, I still think about it from time to time. And uh, I haven't thought about it this deeply in quite a while. But uh, these are the stories I'd love to hear. These are the kind of things that I want to hear uh, from you guys. If you, <laughs> if you had a diaper man, if you had a, just a boogeyman in general. Um, that's just something that always just uh, that t- that you know tickles me that 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 we used to buy into such things, especially the the more mystical ones. Because I mean, like I said earlier, there are creeps out there, there are scary people out there. But uh, when you give it like a cartoonish twist, like the diaper man, it's a uh, you know it's it's just weirdly interesting and. Uh, Definitely something I'm interested in in, in hearing uh, from from you guys if uh, 
if you had such a such a uh, character in your childhood. Um, yeah, I don't know if he, you know, yeah, if you're maybe yours hid in the sewer and had like balloons. Is that is that a thing? I don't know. I think that relates to something in pop culture. Now the other uh, the other little schoolyard mystery we had, and uh, this one's less sinister and it's a little bit more silly. It uh, it involved a street gang. Okay, now I lived in a small town or a hamlet. They called it a hamlet in Long Island called Oakdale. One one town or maybe hamlet over uh, to the east was a town uh, called Sayville. Now, there's not really a rivalry between Oakdale and Sayville. I mean, it's just two little towns in, in, a, in a New York suburb. But uh, we used to hear, and I don't know if this is a real thing or not, we used to hear that there was a street gang in Sayville called the Skate Rats. The Skate Rats were, <laughs> they were, a, street, they were a street gang on skateboards. And, uh, God, it's so dumb. And we were trained to be terrified of the Sayville street, uh, uh, skate rats. I, I probably, the next time I talk to Tom Panneries, I need to, uh, check with him to see if the, uh, the skate rats were a real thing. Um, because nobody that I knew knew, nobody that I knew was in the skate rats, but everybody knew someone who knew someone who knew someone in the skate rats. Which, I mean, that's just how these stories get started. Um, and even... Oh, it's so dumb. We used to go to Sayville almost every day. Uh, because that's where our comic shop was. Our comic shop was Amazing Comics in Sayville. Uh, we lived in Oakdale, and we would... Uh, we would basically... My buddy lived... We both lived on streets that came off of uh, Montauk Highway. Montauk Avenue. Montauk Highway, I think it is. Main Street. Um, and we would meet on Main Street, and we would just walk east through Sayville. And, uh, we would get our comics, we would, uh, you know, maybe stop at, uh, if we, if there were no comics, we would just, uh, we would stop back at a, at a deli and, and grab something. We had a, there was a deli there next to a funeral parlor that we called the Super Deli. Because it had tables, you know. Uh, because, like, the delis there... A lot of the delis would just be, you know, you'd walk in, there'd be a counter, and you'd order something and you'd leave. But this deli had the counter, and it had a little place where you could eat, it had some arcade games, um, so we called it the Super Deli. And uh, we would stop there uh, almost every day, and <laughs> we would, uh, me and my buddy, uh, Chuck, we would... We would go in there, and depending on how much money we had pulled together after after going to the comic shop, maybe buying something, maybe not, um, we would buy, we would split a bottle of Dr. Pepper, a small bottle of Dr. Pepper, and a bag of Fritos every day. So we had Fritos and Dr. Pepper every day. It just depended on how many <laughs> we got. Sometimes we could afford two. Sometimes we would just share the one. And uh, we would go in there, and we would... Uh, and we would just hang out. We would talk and sit and eat and, and maybe flip through the comic if we bought one. And uh, one day, we were confronted by four kids on bikes. And they came in and they asked where we went to school. And we told them. And they're like, ah, oh, you guys can't be here. 
and we're just like we're thinking like it was this like 1950s you know Bronx what what is this crap we're in we're in Long Island here um, I mean we're across the street from a DeLorean dealership come on um, we uh, we were told we couldn't be there and uh, they told us. And, and even these kids in Sayville, they were not skate rats, but they knew the skate rats. They knew someone who knew someone in the skate rats, and if we showed our faces there again, we'd be in trouble. Now, we were, I think if you put us together, we would have been like 120 pounds. We were very small kids. Um, so, you know, we were we were, you know, obviously uncomfortable with uh, the, the possibility of, of being, you know, jumped by the, the skate rats. And, uh... And we're like, all right, you know, we figured, okay, we'll we'll have to we'll have to hide out for a little bit, you know, we're gonna have to, we're, we were still gonna go to Sayville because that's where our comic shop was, but uh, we had we were gonna have to find other ways to get there. Is kind of the thing, and uh, we, we finished eating and we left, and one of the guys, one of these, you know, bad kids was on the uh, edge of the building and he called us over, and uh, they walked us to the back. Behind the building into this like small parking lot And they surrounded us And it was like a really pathetic Little scene Where like one of them kept like riding his bike in a circle Around us and they just stood there And they were just like uh, Bullying us for some reason Just uh, really being being dicks uh, <laughs> We didn't know these guys But uh, yeah there was just All these like weird empty threats Like oh, if you show your face here again You know we're gonna get you and Or they're, oh, they're gonna get you because they weren't skate rats They were on bikes um, And uh, just telling us you know Don't come back you're not welcome here This is this is not for, for joke dealers <laughs> So pathetic um, Yeah so we uh, You know I think we were, we were A bit nervous I mean that was just You would run into stuff like that uh, you know, walking uh, anywhere. We we used to walk miles and miles a day. You would you would walk into people that were unfriendly. You would do that. You would uh, you might get hassled on the bus on the way home and know that if you guys are going to hang out, you need to go a different way because you know where that person lives and you know that they're going to be sitting by the window and because uh, they've seen you there the past five days and they're gonna they're gonna you know give you some trouble. They're gonna hassle you if they see you again. So, uh, I mean, we were we were we were uh, kind of unpopular. I think that's a <laughs> an understatement. Um, I do remember, you know, we would get we would get or one of us got threatened by somebody, and uh, we had to like circumnavigate the neighborhood just to hang out that day because uh, we didn't want to walk through any danger zones. And and it's weird because you would actually like it's like okay, well, we can't go down that block. Okay, we can't go down that block. Ooh, we want to avoid that corner. It was just so weird. Uh, <laughs> it was a, that was a thing. Um, it's probably uh, given me so much of the character that you're you're currently being uh, uh, you know given from me right now. Um, but I do remember, you know, we got that threat from uh, the friend of the skate rats or the <laughs> disciples of the skate rats. And uh, yeah, and, and from that point on, you know, I mean, you'd see kids on skateboards in Sayville, and that would be your first thought. It's like, ah, oh, it's a skate rat. You know, we got a we got a vamoose because they were kind of like a random encounter in a role playing game. You know, it wasn't like you were just gonna walk past them and nothing was gonna happen. They were gonna they if they saw you, if you made eye contact, they were coming over, and it would be a wild skate rat approaches command, and uh, they'd hassle you. But uh. We would take different paths to uh, to get through to and through Sayville, you know, 
and uh, the <laughs> the one line that was like, it's like you guys don't come past the Cherry Avenue School, and it's like, does can you sound any more white bread than that? <laughs> don't come past the Cherry Avenue School, okay. Um, <laughs> So we would have to go through different ways to get to the comic shop. Uh, we ultimately would decide to just take the train tracks. We would meet up at the bread factory on Locust Avenue, which uh, which was just north of the uh, train tracks, and we would just walk the train tracks like uh, Stand by Me until we'd get to uh, into Sayville because you can't ride a skateboard on the on the uh, train tracks, <laughs> and that was actually our our logic. It's like, well, they're going to have to carry their skateboards then. Who wants to do that? Even though anytime you saw a kid with a skateboard, they were usually carrying it anyway. Uh, it was our way of, uh, I don't know, just uh, assuaging our worries and, and concerns uh, and, and make ourselves feel a little safer, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, those were, the, uh, those were the two big ones that I can remember that were... That were the ones that like, kind of ingrained themselves in my mind. You know, the, uh, the diaper man... And the Sayville Skate Rats. Uh, and I'm sure there were others, probably smaller ones, uh, you know, kind of like the old, uh, oh yeah, my, my, you know, my, my, my dad, my dad works at Nintendo, or my uncle works at Nintendo, and this is this, and that's that. You'd get all those kind of silly things. And, uh, or, or, you know, my dad works at Nintendo Power was another good one. That's where you'd get all the, uh, all the codes that don't work. <laughs> And uh, my dad works at Cablevision, and we have all these channels, and yada, yada, yada. Um, all that interesting stuff. But the, the two that uh, that were a little meatier were uh, with The Legend of the Diaper Man and uh, the Saville Skate Rats, which it makes me wonder. I, I don't really associate with anyone from back home. Uh, we've all kind of moved away, so I don't know if those, if those uh, legends have persisted. I don't know if those legends could persist uh, post-internet, you know? I don't know that, uh, you know, that w- could there be a Diaper Man in 2020? It would probably be a, a much scarier <laughs> picture uh, than, than the cartoony lunatic we pictured. Um, and uh, if if there is some sort of a, uh, a <laughs> skate rat dynasty, I wonder if, uh, you know, the kids of the kids that hassled us are now hassling... Other joke dealers about uh, the legend of the the skate rats and how they'll how they'll beat you up, but uh, you know this is just a discussion I'd love to have. Um, if you have similar stories, please feel free to share them. Uh, I'd love to uh, <laughs> I'd love to touch base on this silly stuff and and just reflect on the silliness and uh, the lightheartedness of youth and the lengths we would go. In order to believe, you know, um, I think believing in in the stuff that just pulls you out of the mundane every day is is an interesting exercise. Um, you know, you have a lot of uh, cryptozoologists and stuff like that, uh, paranormal, uh, uh, you know, uh, believers or, or folks who would like to believe. And uh, I don't know if that I'm fully in that camp. Um, I would love for there to be something more than regular. You know the everyday, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, it's it's something that I think a lot of us have that in common. You know, uh, wanting there to be something more to life, something interesting, uh, and I think so many of us get wrapped up in fiction that 
real life just doesn't live up all the time. I, I think that's, uh, I mean, my entire life is, is wrapped in fiction, which is why I don't react so well to things that happen in real life, probably. Um, where it's just, you know, you feel like you, there, there should be something more. There should be, you know, there should be a, uh, you know, a castle over the hill with a, with a, with a, you know, a, someone who needs saving, you know, something like that. But, uh, those are my stories, and I'd love to hear yours. So, uh, you know, reach out if uh, if you have any. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. But with all that said, uh, I I think this is a show about a comic book. So how about I send it over to the horns finally after six days of you listening to my droning, and we get into Batman number four hundred and fifty-eight. Batman 458 had a January 1991 cover date. The story is called Night Monsters. Written by Alan Grant, pencils by Norm Brayfogle, ink Steve Mitchell, colors Adrian Roy, lead is Todd Klein, assistant editor Kelly Puckett, edits Denny O'Neill. Cover price $1. Now, we open with Batman rescuing a child from a group of heroin pushers who are attempting to forcefully inject the lad with some of that stuff. Batman swoops in, whoops some ass, and takes the boy to safety. Only, when he pulls his mask off, it's actually Commissioner Gordon. Which, uh, I mean, that tells you right there. This is just a dream. This is Commissioner Gordon's dream. We meet up with him, and he's sitting outside the Gotham train station, waiting. Now, he thinks about how he, if things were different, might have been the night monster that is the Batman. I mean, just you wait until the DCYOU, pal. He shakes it off, and he hops inside for a hamburger. From a man with a very, very sloppy apron. I don't know that I would order food from him. Um, nearby, a young girl carries a broken doll toward a ramshackle building. In a neat touch, we still have uh, Jim Gordon's narration here, and he is discussing how with every single day that passes, the choices we can make grow more and more limited. So... I mean, it's a wildly unpleasant concept, but it's very well presented here that every day, you know, that window of opportunity closes just a little bit more. Anywho, the girl believes that there's someone called Mr. Fixit living among this squalor, and uh, we're not talking about that, you know, the Grey Hulk. Uh, now, this is a man who can fix literally anything, and so she leaves her broken doll, along with a candy bar for payment, at this ramshackle home and leaves it behind. We hop back to Gordon here, and he's finishing up his late-night burger. And just then, he catches some young punks spray-painting a wall. When he announces who he is, the kids just run away. He goes to chase, but he goes into a coughing fit as he attempts it. Luckily, a certain caped crusader just happens to be passing by. These punks, well, they're not the brightest of, uh, of punks. Maybe they're Savile Skate Rats. Uh, they only run a few streets over, and instead of chalking this up as a win, or or at least a non-loss, they decide to start spray-painting a homeless man's face. Well, that was a pretty dumb move, because it gave Batman more than enough time to catch up with them. Back to the girl with the doll. She left this doll at this weird house to be fixed, and she hasn't returned home yet. And her father is pretty ticked off. It is nighttime, after all. He grabs a baseball bat, and he heads out to deal with the mysterious Mr. Fix-It, Along the way, he knocks on every door in their apartment building and, uh, looks to me like they're forming a mob. Now, when we get back to Gordon, he is loitering around the train station again. But why? 
Well, you see, Sarah Essen is returning to town. Now, if you're familiar with Batman Year One, you'll know that Essen is the woman who Gordon briefly cheated on his wife with. Anyway, she's transferring back to Gotham City from New York. Gordon wonders why why he's even here. You know, he doesn't know... He doesn't know why he's here to see Sarah. Um, it's not like he's ready to strike up a relationship or perhaps even a conversation with her. And so he tries to slip away unnoticed. Unfortunately for him, a purse snatcher picks just this very moment to, uh, well, snatch a purse. Back at the dilapidated building, the mob is assembled, and they are armed with just about every kind of swingable blunt object you might find in your house. They call out to Melissa, who is the little girl, and they promise that they won't let that freak hurt her. At this point, Batman swoops in to check the temperature of the situation. He asks if anyone's called the police, to which, nah, nobody did. Looks like they just want to exact their own form of neighborhood justice. Batman suggests he go in first to get the lay of the land. The mob refuses, even going as far as to push him out of their way. They tear down the rickety fence and they head toward the structure, Batman decides to do some detective work, and uh, he follows the tiny footprints he found nearby. Back at the railway station, Gordon is down. Gordon's down. He is just on the ground, cigarette on the ground, all toppled over. Lucky for him, there's another officer nearby, and that officer is, of course, Sarah Essen. She holds the purse snatcher at gunpoint, and the uh, former lovers have a pretty awkward reunion. Once the creep is in cuffs, they decide to head out for a cup of coffee. Back at the building, the mob zeroes in on Mr. Fix-It, who is, uh, he's Harold, that hunchback from the cover. Yeah, I mean, hold all gasping till the end, please, because I'm sure that was a huge surprise. Anywho, Melissa's dad proceeds to threaten the poor fella and is just about to bash his brains in with a baseball bat before Melissa enters the room. It turns out she just got stuck under some fallen scaffolding on her way out. Mr. Fixit didn't do nothing to her. Uh, Melissa's dad drops the bat, realizing that he might have been the monster himself all along. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Uh, It ought to go without saying that by now Mr. Fixit has, in fact, repaired Melissa's broken doll. Her father is beside himself with shock, because as far as he knew, all of the dolly's electronics were burned out. Melissa gives Fix-It a peck on the cheek, and they leave. Before exiting, however, she asks Batman if Fix-It will be going away. Batman says he will be going away, but not to worry, because he'll be well taken care of. I don't know if he's going to send him to that farm where all those dogs go. Uh, Batman tries chatting up Fix-It, but the poor dude can't talk. He recognizes him as Harold, of course, uh, the scarily brilliant engineer and former associate of the Penguin during the Penguin Affair, which, uh is one of the first Batman stories I ever read. Um, he wonders what to do with him. He knows he can't just turn him to the, into the authorities because he'd uh, probably just wind up being sent to an institution from there. Let's hop back to Gordon and Essen. They're at Mel's Diner, where they're having some coffee and they're catching up. Looks like they're both available these days. Uh, Jim's wife has passed, and Essen's husband was killed in the line of duty. So really, there's nothing keeping them apart at this point. Uh, They chat a little longer and decide that whatever their shared future holds, they should definitely take it slowly. The issue wraps up in the Batmobile. Batman and Harold are heading back to the Batcave, and it looks as though Harold will be working for the good guys from now on. 
Okay, so how fun was this issue? This was a really good one. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Gordon's narrative. Um, it was uh, like almost poetic. Uh, the idea that every day, you know, windows of opportunity close, you know. It's very unpleasant to consider. Uh, it's true, of course, but uh, it's also very sobering. Um, I mean, Jim even goes as far as to say, at a certain very young age, you know you'll never be the Gerber baby. Which uh, is, is a very extreme example, and it might sound crazy, but it doesn't make it any less true. You know, you're, you know, you'll ne- if <laughs> when you're not a baby, you can no longer be the baby. You know, it's it's an interesting thought. It's definitely a uh, an interesting exercise in thought. Um, framing his story with a narrative discussion of choices is is like perfect for this. Uh, the entire night out uh, that he this his entire night out is a choice that he has made. And it's a choice that he's not completely sure about. He could be there to meet Sarah at the train station, or he could just sneak away. It's, uh, it's you know, very human when you're faced with a decision that you labor over, and you start thinking about other choices you could have or perhaps should have made along the way. Um, I think we're all faced with choices. That's, that's just a very human thing. We have free will in, in most cases, and... Uh, you know, there, there was the concept that the grass is greener and uh, that and if you're a pessimist, uh, this, the road less traveled is the one you should have traveled. You know, it's, it's another very interesting and uh, heavy thought exercise. Um, right here we get, we get Commissioner Gordon dreaming that he's Batman, you know, and uh, he wakes up and he considers that had he made a different decision or two or 20 or 30, he could have been Batman, right? I mean... It's it's a very interesting thought. Of course, you know his Bat Bunny costume is, is a couple of decades away at this point, but uh, the point is still well taken. Um, now the Harold story. I mean, the, the, this whole episode has been framed around the concept of uh, the Boogeyman story. You know, uh, it's just a lot of fun to to consider that and to to really delve into those childhood mysteries and histories and and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I, I just wonder, like, are there kids behind that school now <laughs> looking for the diaper man? I don't know. Um, so Mr. Fix-It, he's the phantom toy repairer of Gotham City, which is a fun and creepy idea. And most scarily, you know, one that you could actually see children falling for, right? I mean, uh, I mentioned when I, when I wrote this piece, I said, if the diaper man advertised that he can make it so I wouldn't have to blow into my Nintendo cartridges anymore, uh, <laughs> I might have sought him out. Uh, but I'm, you know, just as happy he, he didn't make that promise. But uh, I, did like the, I did like the premise overall, uh, because it is just one of those that... It's simple. You know, it's a very simple premise, and children, for the most part, are very simple. Simple creatures, uh, in that they... They're very blunt. They know what they want, you know. Uh, the, these children want their toys fixed. So where do they go? They, well, they go to the guy who can fix their toys. Um, now, something I really didn't, maybe didn't quite so much dig about it. Um, let's talk a little bit about Melissa getting stuck under the scaffold, right? Now, I get what they're going for here. Mr. Fix-It, or Harold, he's not a bad dude. And he didn't do anything to hurt Melissa. But if that mob didn't assemble and come out to bash his brains in... Batman would have never searched the building. And so, at the end of the day, there's a good chance Melissa would have maybe died under the debris, right? So, in essence, it's 
probably a good thing that that Melissa's father gathered the troops and stomped on in, right? I mean, that makes that might make the story a little bit less heartwarming, but I can't ignore it. <laughs> it's it's true. Um, now, also, let's let's think a little bit more about her father here. What what kind of father would Melissa's pop be if he didn't want to bash in the brains of the guy he thinks took or hurt his daughter? I mean, even as uh, enlightened as we all claim to be nowadays, I couldn't say with any certainty that I wouldn't swing first and ask questions later, right? I mean, it's kind of weird that uh, Melissa's father is is framed here as a bad guy from the first moment we see him. Uh, would we prefer to be reading about a father who doesn't care that his very young daughter is roaming the slummy Gotham streets in the middle of the night? I, I don't know that I'm really buying that, you know? I think... Uh, I think if you're a father and your kid is out and you hear that there's a creep out there, you're... I think you've got a right to go grab a bat and, and at least protect, you know, your family. But, that, you know, those are my only real complaints about this here. Uh, for the most part, I had a really good time with this one, and I think a lot of bat fans will too. And uh, I joked in the, uh, in the blog post that this story has been collected in the Essential Herald Omnibus Volume 1, which uh, I wish was a thing that existed, but alas, it does not. Uh, you can find this digitally if you are so inclined. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, again, I apologize for the length of the introduction here. This is a longer episode than I assumed it would be. Um, I didn't think I was going to drone on quite as long. But uh, what's done is done. And if you made it this far, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. And uh, for everyone who's reached out again, thank you. Uh, if you'd like to reach out, uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, Ace Comics on Twitter, Chris is on infiniteearth.com, uh, Chris and Reggie.podbean.com. On all the places you can hear noise, the place you heard the, you know, the place you're hearing it now will we'll always be there. So <laughs> you can come check us out whenever. Um, I'd like to thank you so, so much for hanging out today. Uh, and again, apologize for the lack of updates, the relative radio silence on my part. We're gonna, we're gonna work hard to, uh, make sure we're moving forward from this point on. Um, I think that's probably all I've got. So, uh, one last time, thank you so, so much for hanging out. I really, really, really appreciate it more than I can put into words. Uh, until next time, I will uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya.